pop couture. The following show is intended for mature audiences and adult pop culture nerds. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Pop Couture, the show that addresses popular culture. I'm your co-host, Joe. I'm your co-host, Aaron. I'm your co-host, Mike. Good job, Joe. You did it. Yay. Two takes and you got it. <laughs> it only yeah. took two times. I think we all were pretty close to two takes, I think. Oh, I yeah. wasn't. It took me like, what, five tries? Yeah. Something well, it was like our first time doing it, so. Yeah. <laughs> true. That's true. Indeed. All right. And most importantly, you are back listener thank you so much for coming back this is the third of the three episodes that we are releasing kind of right out the gate as we get the show started here so if you're listening to this one first go back and listen to episode one or listen to this one all the way through i'm not your mom uh, so before we get into the stuff we're going to discuss today we need to catch up how's your week been everyone um, it's not bit, not too bad. Um, I'm doing uh 14-hour shifts this week because I'm going to go up and see my uh my girlfriend on Friday. So, um wanted to make sure that I had some time to spend with her on Friday cuz when she came down here for my birthday in February, she didn't get here until midnight. So oh, no. Yeah, well, cuz she had, she had to work and then she went directly to the airport. So, um I just and I was looking at flights and I would have had to have done the same thing. So, it's like, you know what? Let me just um let me just do do this, so I'll uh, I'll suffer through two extra hours a day, just so that I can have all day Friday to to travel and get up there and still have a good chunk of the day to spend with her. And you said it was fourteen hours in a day. No, no, four ten-hour days. Oh, oh my god, you scared me. <laughs> you scared me. No, 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 no. Ooh. Hell no. There's no way I would do that. Oh good. I love my girlfriend, but that's 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 a lot. <laughs> exactly yeah it sounds like it yeah wow <laughs> how about you mike what have you been up to uh um i am dealing with ba, ba, da, ba, stomach ulcers oh, so I'm, no. I'm, I'm uh i'm doing okay it's been it's been a stressful about a week it's been like a really stressful week for me but mm-hmm. i've been finding i've been finding things to um combat it I've been watching. Um, I I went back and watched a bunch of Ken Burns documentaries. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. You know, nothing mm-hmm. nothing lightens the mood like a <laughs> eight part documentary about the Vietnam War. I mean, <laughs> yeah, come on. But I other than that, I've been doing okay. You know, I've been working. I've been releasing my. I've been I I've been submitting my short film to festivals, just sort of distracting myself. You sure have. Um, things have been going well. I just I just submitted to like my thirty fifth festival. Nice today. So we'll yeah, see. My yeah. goal, my goal is fifty. Okay. So we'll see how I let's see if I can get to fifty. That's great. And will you be attending some of them, or um, if someone's willing to send me out to Tangier, then sure, sure. But like, here's the thing: is that right now we're at the selection process, so submitting it is one thing. I'll within over the course of the next couple months, I'll get notifications saying, "Hey, we, we." we like your film or we don't like your film. <laughs> and then I, and then I'll find out if it's been approved. Some of them are close or closer. Some are a bit far away. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did submit to a few um, and some that I really, really, really want to go to. So hopefully that works out because um, I, it's, it was my old, my only real goal for the film besides, I guess to finish it was to see if it has legs for, for festivals. 
So this is a new kind of process for me. I'm not used to this. Mm-hmm. So I'm I, yeah. I'm checking it out. You know, I put some money aside to put towards putting to festivals. And yeah, so. Did you submit my to week. Cleveland International mm-hmm. Film Fest? Um, I think I did. I'd have to yes. look at the list. Oh, if yes. not, if not, I think it was because it was one of the ones where I think the due date was close. So I said, let me try and get it in there. I think it was Cleveland. Mm-hmm. I'll double check after the show. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah. All right. Um, and then for me, I've, um, I've just been working hard. I'm in a, I'm in a new band. Uh, we're not ready to announce anything yet. So I'm not going to say the name, but it's a, it's a three piece, like a power trio situation. Mm. Uh, like fast, energetic, like rock punk adjacent music, you know, that, that good stuff. Mm-hmm. So keeping busy with that. And then, um, you know, obviously I'm playing Warcraft because that's what I do, but, um, I've been replaying resident evil five with my husband and because that's the one with the best co-op and that's been, that's been really nice. Nice. Um, I know everyone's been uh, talking about the resident evil four remake. I know a lot of people were very polarized about it. Yeah. A lot of people are really, really, um, they, they really take sides when it comes to resident (laughs) evil. Like that is a, very passionate fan base and we'll, mm, yeah. we'll happily talk about that. So I've been watching a bunch of like lore videos on it just cause it's so interesting. Like it's something I've played, but I've never really sunk my teeth into, you know, but this time mm-hmm. around I'm like, Ooh, there's lore here and I want all of it. Yeah. All right. On that note, uh, there've been a couple of interesting things that have happened uh, in in the news before we get into our primary discussion, uh, do you want to just yeah. let's go through those real quick? Sure, sure. And just for just a pause, can you hear that scratching? Nope. No, I'm good. Okay, I just want to be sure because my cat is scratching the floor. <laughs> no, Maya's okay. Maya, stop it. <laughs> she's not. She's not stopping. She's it. not stopping. Hold on. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Maya, Maya looked directly into your camera and then did it harder. <laughs> and then it kept going. Oh my god! Sorry. I'm Can so I have sorry. permission to leave this in? Because that was really funny. <laughs> I don't. I don't want people to know that I called my cat dumb. Oh sure. <laughs> okay. Okay. Fair. That's fine. Sorry. No. 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 Okay. All right. So first uh, in the news, and this literally just happened within the past forty-eight hours. Mm-hmm. Or so at at the time of recording here, um, which is April twenty fifth, twenty twenty three, for anyone interested, um, a new set of Magic the Gathering cards uh, is slated to be released called uh, March of the Machines Aftermath, uh, and it is supposed to be coming after the new set March of the Machines which I believe is also upcoming or just released. So these cards are not supposed to be out yet, but one of the distribution warehouses accidentally sent out someone's package. They ordered Wrath of the Machine, but got, uh, sorry, March of the Machine, but they got March of the Machine Aftermath because the names are so confusing. And so did a video, opened up the cards, showed them uh, to the camera, posted it on YouTube, Guess who shows up at his door? 
the fucking Pinkertons. Like the oh my God. agency. Yeah. What happened? They, what did they send? Did they send them like cards that weren't supposed to be released yet? Yeah. And oh so my God. Wizards of the Coast, instead of being polite and using it <sighs> as a way to promote their new cards and like do tie it in to be like, oops, we we fucked up. Here's the rest of the cards being revealed. No, they sent like the secret police. They sent some goons after this guy. Retired goons. It is insane to me. That the Pinkertons are still a thing. Like these, these were the Union Busters back in like the early 1900s. They're they're the villains in a number of like movies and video games. Like yeah, um, Red Dead. Yeah, Red Dead Redemption. They were um, they were they were mentioned in the last um, uh, Bioshock, and it's just like and and they're still around. You would have thought at least at some point they would have just changed the name because of how bad the brand is. But I guess it also it's like, oh, shit, the Pinkertons are here. We got to get out of here. So Yeah, seriously. And so Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro once again taking the low road and perpetually mm. choosing the, 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 the absolute best ways to completely alienate their fan base. Right. So I like, mean, Jesus. I mean, what happened since then? Uh, so the Pinkertons came. They took the cards. Um, and the guy posted a video on YouTube talking about what happened. And understandably, uh, Hasbro's stock price took a hit. Unsurprisingly, there's mm-hmm. a ton of backlash. They have yet to make any statements, uh, but people downloaded and re-uploaded the video. So it's like the damage is done. Once it's on the on the internet, it's there forever. Yeah, it's like the now, barber stress end effect. Yeah. So this man, this guy, spent money, ordered cards. Mm-hmm. They sent the wrong cards. Mm-hmm. They had sent Pin- Pinkertons to come and take the cards, mm-hmm. and then they never reimbursed them for the cards. Uh, from what I understand, no. Wow. wow. Yep. There's a reason why I use my desktop printer to print off my magic cards. <laughs> <laughs> oh yikes! Oh my god. Yeah, but in better That's news. Nuts. In better news, uh, this is in the animation wheelhouse. Uh, today on Twitter, uh, we got a sneak peek at the next Hell of a Boss episode, which, Ooh. as these two know, I'm a huge Hell of a Boss and has been Hotel fan. Mike, mm-hmm. I know that you cannot say anything, nor have I a- ever asked you for any spoilers. So, you. But what we saw, as people who are not in that sector... Um, I don't even know this information because I haven't checked Twitter or anything. <laughs> oh, good. Twitter's bad for you. Yeah. Uh, so it is a shot of uh, Blitz and Luna standing in front of St. Anne's Hospital, which is Satan's Hospital. I, clever. <laughs> play on words. It's cute because it's hell of a boss. Um, right. And so they're looking up, and this is presumably in the same episode where we saw a previous teaser where uh, Stryker from season one has Stolas uh, bound in angelic rope on the back of his horse, like kidnapping. And so it's like, ooh, I wonder how these... <laughs> so that's that's big, exciting. Hopefully we get to see it 
before the end of the month or in May at least. So that was exciting. Uh, has anything exciting happened in the news in your respective interests and fields? Well, I know in my field right now, I'm, I have a lot of friends and colleagues at Disney and everybody's holding their breath because they're laying off like 3000 people this week. Oh, man. oh my God. That sucks. It's, it's all over the company. So like mm -hmm. right now I'm just sort of like watching at bated breath, wondering um, if any of my friends or colleagues are going to be out of a job this week, especially in a, in a market right now, that's already not in a good place for animation yeah. Mm -hmm. Animation sort of it. It's like funny because today, as of today, as we record the day we're recording this, it's um, CinemaCon mm -hmm. is this week or the or this extended week, and like the one guy that who none of us like, David Zaslav, who runs Discovery, Warner oh, Brothers. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, is went to make an appearance there to promote stuff, which is rare. CEOs of companies don't usually go to places like CinemaCon and make con appearances. Mm -hmm. And nobody likes this guy. Like, nobody <laughs> likes David Zaslav. Yeah. So, like, we're waiting and wondering, like, what's going to happen. Um, it, it's it's always – and right now it's hard, like, trying to find work in mm -hmm. this industry right now. is It's sort of in a weird place. So we're all just sort of, like, collectively holding our breaths and, you know, wishing the best for our colleagues and our friends who in a in a, in a time where – finding a job is difficult and this will kind of this will lead into our kind of our broader topic but i wanted to at least just say outright at least in animation how much the the um the playing field has changed over the last couple of years with things like streaming and obviously the pandemic and everything but it's it's a whole it's a whole rigmarole and it's just everybody just collectively kind of sighing and wondering what's when are things going to improve yeah, that sucks. That does suck, yeah. Um, And that is, like, company-wide, so, like, Anim and Parks and Admin. It's it's all over, so it's going to affect mm. everybody. They said they're laying off in total this month. I think they're laying off in total 7,000 people. Oh, is, my God. Which is wow. three, which in the grand scheme, like, it, from a business side standpoint, it's like, oh, that's only, like, 3% of our workforce. Mm -hmm. but it's affecting everybody in the company in a weird mm -hmm. period right now. Mm -hmm. So it's like, because Disney's trying to like upload or unload. I think they have like three and a half billion or no, sorry, five and a half billion dollars in debt. So now they're just trying to write off as much money as possible. Mm. So Ugh. I'm expecting, I'm expecting to hear about like cancellations. Mm -hmm. I'm expecting to hear about massive layoffs. Mm -hmm. I'm expecting to hear um, things either pushed or, or 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 paused or canceled, you know, different yeah. type of stuff. So it's sort of like holding my breath. Not so much because, like, I know most people who are outside of it are going to be upset about shows being canceled or projects being canceled. But it's a company. It happens all the time. It's the people I really worry yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. So, mm -hmm. like, I'm always worried about how are my friends doing? How are my colleagues doing? These people who are in development on a movie or a show for three years and suddenly they're like, well, goodbye. Thank you mm -hmm. for keeping our industry afloat for throughout the pandemic. We couldn't have done it without you. Goodbye. So it's sort of like, yeah, it's fun. Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't there also a thing coming out of Disney World down in Florida 
Um, keeping within the range of this show being PG-13, what I'll say is uh, DeSantis is a penis, and I won't go any further with expletives, <laughs> as, a, as it were. But um, because there's Speaking been of Ron about... DeSantis' penis not going further. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving that in. <laughs> But sure, I'm leaving that in. Um, oh, God. But for uh, the past couple of years, there's been a power struggle between Disney um, and uh, for in a greater sense, like Orlando and the parks and everything mm-hmm. and the state of Florida, because Florida is regressive and terrible. And Disney is. They have a Disney. history there, but they're not as bad as Florida. Like they're, they're like, oh my God, gay people are a thing that exists. Woo. We love that. Mm. And Florida says no, but I heard something through the grapevine and people can either confirm or deny this. Is, is Disney on the verge of a getting kicked out of Florida or B moving to a different state for their parks? There's, there's no way. Yeah. Disney can offload the amount of money and real estate mm-hmm. they've spent. They own the land. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, if if Ron, I mean, first of all, in the time that Ron DeSantis is in charge at in Florida, in parallel to how long the company's been there, how long the company will survive, mm-hmm. um, there's anything that they try to do that's regressive is probably going to only last as long as Ron DeSantis is in power down there. Right. Mm. They're not going to Disney as far as I know, they're not going to lose like they're not going to like oh we're shutting down the parks and the parks are done because that's literally the biggest money maker for Disney. Mm-hmm. I'm sure and also it's the biggest money maker for Florida. Yeah. Right. That's literally their biggest employer in Florida is Dis- the Disney company. So what they're doing is it's really Disney when they this is a whole thing, but when Disney, and I'm not even a big in, in regards to the, the the politics and stuff, Disney set up essentially their own um, administrative sort of area on their property right. called, I think it's called Reedy Creek. Yeah, Reedy Creek. Yeah, Reedy Creek. So that's like in that in that jurisdiction, Disney has control over what they do with the land, the you know, how they, you know, for like things like power and, and resource use and things like that. And they obviously have to pay to the state of California, or to state, so I'm sorry, I'm thinking of Disneyland, the state of Florida, um, you know, every year for, you know, what have you. Yeah. And right now, because Ron DeSantis is on a weird bent against the company ever since the Disney originally sided and then backed off the don'ts, the, uh, the woke bill. Mm-hmm. Don't say gay, yeah. The yeah, don't say one. gay woke that bill one. and everything. Now Ron DeSantis has one. a literally like a personal vendetta against the Disney company. So it's yeah. a whole it's a whole dumb thing, and it just it comes off as just politicians um, uh, waving their very 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 small pride around, and yeah, not, and just coming off as a loon. Mm-hmm. So like I don't know, and also I mean the thing that's kind of scary about it is that Ron DeSantis is a is a heavy contender for being the, I guess either the GOP GOP leading to a Republican choice for president in the next uh, election. So everybody's sort of like holding their breath, wondering like what's going to happen to this guy. Yeah, and yeah. but so. but 
the thing is, though, that Disney has the best lawyers probably on the planet. And they do. And everything that uh, DeSantis has been trying to do for the past, you know, year, they've they've been able to pretty much just counter and block. And like he he had, you know, Reedy Creek, he had uh, he was trying to get it under his uh, he was trying to get people under his uh, his cronies to to take over so that he could do whatever he wanted to. He was he was like buying people to be he was putting people in charge of whoever was going to be running the new administration for Reedy Creek now that yeah. Disney was lost that right thing right but right like at the 11th hour right before DeSantis's people were supposed to take over Disney and they did this publicly so that there there's there was no like you know it was not a backroom deal they did it out in the open like they were supposed to so it was you know because like I said Disney's got the best lawyers they set it up so that the outgoing Reedy Creek uh board they gave them pretty much back all the all the uh rights and privileges that they had before and they set up the agreement that it's not going to expire until the last descendant of King Charles of England's uh, has been dead for 21 years. So. What? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a weird legal thing. Um, you, you can you can set up uh, keeping property or, or uh, deals in place um, with a finite limit. But in this, uh, I'll have I would have to look it up. What, what the exact term is, but yeah. So they said like, okay, this agreement is going to stay in effect until the last descendant of King Charles has been dead for 21 years. And considering the fact that uh, King Charles has like baby grandchildren, it's going to be at least probably 70, 80, 80 90 years. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, yeah, like, cause the Royals are like very long lived. I mean, uh, Queen Elizabeth was almost a hundred before she passed. So so you know, it's it's probably gonna be at least a century before that deal is expires. So, <laughs> when we said that this show undresses popular culture, I think we just made good on that tagline. <laughs> My God, yeah, it's it's a whole thing. It, uh, and we we are not a uh, a political podcast, but if anybody's listening wants to look into it, it's 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 crazy. Just yeah, just look up, you know. King Charles, Disney, 21 years, and you'll find the whole story. <laughs> yeah, I, I love stuff like that because yeah. I, I love this. The thing is, is that uh, if you look at it from one point, like if you're standing completely back, it's either fr- from a moral standpoint, it's like, do I side with the political runners of a state that are uh, have a, have a, have their own history of, of being um, – morally regressive and um, uh, negatively influential on their people or do you side with a large conglomerate corporation who right. is a large which, uh, which has its which has its own uh, history of fuckery so yeah mm-hmm. it has its own it has its own history and of course it's a big company it's not mm-hmm. like I mean obviously that's the thing though is that and then you have to think about the fact that each aspect are are backed by you know, tons of people, tons of pe- lots of money, but then mm-hmm. also the people who keep, like in the case of Disney, the people who keep that company alive are the workers, the people who work there. Mm-hmm. So if they're not treated well at that company, it reflects poorly on their, you know, their hiring and then, you know, who wants to work for that company and how Dis- if Disney perceives their, which in some cases they do, perceives their, their worker base as sort of disposable. It's sort of like it's morally like I'm one of those people that's like conflicted because it's like mm. I like I like 
the movies. I like the creative people. I like when people are working. I don't like the company in any way. Right. Yeah. I don't really like any company really. It's yeah. just, it's but it's like the less is, the lesser of two, I guess, evils. Right. The enemy one, of my enemy. One empl- one employs mil- like millions of practically millions of people and makes stuff and and builds and, and, and keeps and is a big uh cornerstone of my industry that I'm in. And the other is just like a bunch of dudes that I could care less about. Yeah. It's like, okay. It's like, I guess I'm picking the one with the mouse ears on, yeah. <laughs> you know, the one that it's like, well, at least you s- sell me uh, churros and Dole Whip. I don't think, yeah. I don't think I'm going to get any of that if I go to Ron DeSantis's, you know. Yeah, pro- probably not. Probably not. I was going to say, <laughs> I, I can't remember the last time a Republican gave my NB ass a churro. <laughs> uh the last thing that that i'll say on this is in south carolina and this is sorry north carolina and this is really funny and this this will bring the mood back up before we get into the topic okay. um north carolina uh in their state congress uh has <laughs> proposed a bill called mickey's freedom restoration act inviting disney world and all of the everything up to North Carolina to have effectively the deal that they had previously before Ooh. all this went down. And it's just so silly because we all know <laughs> they can't, they can't move. You can't just no. pick the magic kingdom up and move it. It's yeah. not like SpongeBob where they push bikini bottom. Like, yeah, they can't do that. They I can't mean, it do would, that. So I think it would it's cost hilarious. more money to do mm-hmm. that than yeah. it would be to just, yeah, exactly. So anyways, I thought, remember, that was, I thought that was funny. Oh, yeah, that is funny. Do you funny. remember, <laughs> briefly, do you remember for a brief period in the in the 90s when they were going to do Disney's America? Yeah. And Disney was Disney was going to, wanted to build a theme park on like old Civil War battlegrounds mm-hmm. or like, I think, and they wanted to build like. Yeah. And then like Michael Eisner mentioned something about like, I don't know, if, I, 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 this, I'm sure, I think there's a defunct land about it. There but is. Something, Ooh, something said really something good. about like. Like goofy slave auction or something like that. Oh, like that was God. something that Michael Eisner pitched. What the what? Or something? Michael I don't know. It was like he mentioned, and then everybody at the at the like the shareholder meeting was like deathly quiet. Like, did he just say? Oh, I don't God. remember. I might be. I might be paraphr- I might be paraphrasing there. But there was definitely like, <sighs> like they wanted to cover and like kind of Disney sugarcoat that aspect <sighs> of of American yeah. history in a weird way. And I'm like, mm, mm-hmm. no. oh, you... Mike, 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 or not you, Mike, the Michael Eisner, Michael Eisner, 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 yeah. Eisner, 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 uh, Eisner, you Michael Eisner, like for every one Videopolis, there's 20 goofy slave auctions. <laughs> yeah. Fuck me. Yeah. Anyways. Oh, God. Anyway. Oh, my, oh my God. All the right. weirdest thing was actually meeting Michael Eisner uh-huh. oh, I'm after so sorry. years of knowing I got no because I my first show that I worked on was Bojack, and oh, yeah. he came in because he produced it. His company produced Bojack. Oh, so really? When, when I when I lived, there was a moment I did a drawing, and this is a, a brief aside. I'm sorry, I'll tell this funny little story. Our show um, is designed for tangents. Go for it. Yeah. So at one point, um, one of the things I had to do was they asked me to design Bojack. Um, there's a there's the famous image of Burt Reynolds on like a bearskin rug nude. It was like a centerfold for I think yeah, Play yeah. Girl magazine or something. I think it was, yeah, I think it was Play Girl. Yeah. So they said we need you, Mike. We need you to draw BoJack 
laying on this bearskin rug. That was oh, you? God. And I did this drawing of Bojack, and it ended up being like his his like desktop background. On, oh like, my the, god! On the show. Oh my god! And then god. what they did was they oh they god. loved the drawing, so they printed it out on like nice cardstock paper, and they hung oh, it in the Shadow Machine at the time had two buildings. One was sort of like the studio area where people were working, and they still had stop motion sets because they were still making Robot Chicken at the time, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, the other side was like the administrative and that's where like people would come in and then have meetings and then have pictures and stuff. And they had all those Bojack glossies from the series and from the show <laughs> on the wall. And one day, um, Michael Eisner came in with his company, him and like his son, and then like a bunch of like, yes, men from Tornante and they're walking and talking. And then he stops in front of the image of Bojack on the rug. And he just looks at it, like, <laughs> pondering it. Like, you would look at, like, a famous painting in a museum. Uh-huh. And he goes, that's the Burt Reynolds thing, right? The parody? <laughs> and, and, and they were like, they were like, yeah. And he goes, he, like, nods his head and, like, very confidently, I like this. You guys, what do you guys think? Do you like this? And they were like, yes, Michael, <laughs> yeah. yes, we yeah. like this. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they're like, you know what? I want that to be the billboard. What do you guys think? What do you, do you think that should be the billboard? And they said, oh. yes, yes, oh. sure. Yeah, yes, Mr. Eisner, of course. And he leaves. And then um, there was the official billboard, which I think was Bojack, like in the pool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they had all around, like they they did a painting of it on the side of a building in Brooklyn. There was a, there was a couple oh my of them, God. I think, in LA. Yo. And they took it and they, it, and it said in like the impact font, like it was a, like it was a, a meme. Yeah. Hey girl, H-A-Y. Oh, oh my hey god. girl and i remember being like oh my god they took my drawing that i did in like 25 minutes and they made it <laughs> oh into a a, a a billboard and i remember my mom calling me <laughs> saying i'm so proud and i said ma you don't understand i just moved out to la literally less than six months ago this is something i don't want to be known for like i don't like <laughs> I'm not proud of it. I mean, I guess I could be now, but like yeah, at the yeah. time, I'm like, I don't want to be known as the guy who drew Bo like Reynolds. a weird happy trail on Bojack. <laughs> like, and like, he's like tastefully covering. And the thing is, I didn't know that it was like, I thought it was just going to be like a random drawing that was going to be like on his, uh, used in the show as like a yeah. background yeah. On, his, on his computer, on his laptop, because he's trying to write and it's in the background with a bunch of icons and stuff. I would have done like a better job, like drawing, like I, I gave the, cause he's laying on a bearskin rug. And of course everybody in the world of Bojack has like, they're like, they have like human, like, you know, eyes, big yeah. eyes. So I drew him with these big, like googly eyes <laughs> and it's really weird. And I was just like, Oh, whatever. But that's my Michael Eisner story. And I got to shake yeah. his hand. And this is someone who, for me, who grew up like watching him on the wonderful world of Disney in the nineties. Mm-hmm. And then, Growing up with him, like introducing movies with like costume characters around him, and mm-hmm. then the whole Save Disney campaign where he got ousted out of the company, and then mm-hmm. he became like, "Well, I'm not gonna, I I don't need Disney. I'm gonna." And he owned like Tops baseball cards, and he was gonna bring back Bazooka Joe oh. and make him. They were gonna do new Bazooka Joe content. Remember Bazooka Joe with no. the, yeah, literally the f- Bazooka gum, which is just like shards of glass, the gum. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. um. 
and then meeting him in person. The guy's big. He's like a linebacker. He's huge. Is he really? That's what I've heard. Yeah, he's oh. a big guy. He's like really yeah. imposing. You know, and he, he shook his hand, and I'm like, this is surreal because like my childhood through like when yeah. I started getting aware of animation, animation being taken down, and then everybody siding with uh, Roy Roy E Disney, Walt's nephew, to take back the company and to oust him from the company, and then then everything leading up to. I guess promote uh, his company producing BoJack. I was like, this is surreal as hell. Mm. This is the Disney CEO episode of of this podcast because <laughs> this is all we've been talking about <laughs> for the last three, uh, baby. Yeah, uh, but anyway, let's continue the the topic at hand. Yes, right. Indeed. Well, speaking speaking of Netflix, so Aaron, that was the uh, kind of a segue there into what you wanted to talk about today. Yes, uh, the topic that I texted you to was talking about. Um, how the advent of streaming has changed the production of our favorite forms of media uh, and our respective uh, industries, etc. cetera. Uh, so talking to Mike about how like now there's like an expectation of like, you have to drop the whole season of a show at once so people mm-hmm. can immediately binge it and immediately criticize it. Or like with <laughs> music, how, it's changed. It's literally changed how people need to produce music in order to get the most amount of clicks and RIAA um, like listens. And then Joe with how Marvel and DC, etc., mm-hmm. now have subscription services for their comic books. So, and how that has changed that workflow. So that's what I would love to talk about this episode. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, so, so besides comics, streaming has also helped me with a lot of my uh, kind of other interests. So, um, you know, I forget if I've said before, but I, I, I do enjoy anime and mm-hmm. I also really like um, uh, British, t- British TV shows. I'm like a huge Anglophile. Like, like I said, I'm a big Doctor Who fan, uh, Whovian. Uh, mm-hmm. as, as, I, as I taught the term to Mike a couple episodes back. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but um, so... Prior to streaming, like if I wanted to get any good, uh, you know, British content, I would actually sometimes I'd have to buy it from actual from actual England, like uh, Amazon UK. I was spending so much money. Um, <laughs> and they were yeah, region no, locked, I, weren't they? Right. Yeah. So I, I so I had to get a uh, a region free uh, DVD player to watch everything. But yeah, I would have to um, I'd, I'd have to buy it. I'd have to buy it from um, from the UK, and at the t- and I, I guess I guess the the pound is still technically stronger than the dollar right now. I, it, g- it is, yeah. comes and goes, but but especially back in the early aughts, it was like like one pound was almost like two bucks Ooh. every now and then. So, yeah, well, it, it, it averaged between like you know one pound equals like a, a buck fifty, a buck seventy five, sometimes two. I mean, it I'm just, I'm rounding, but it was it was the pound was a lot stronger, so. Um, so yeah, I had to, and, and especially you know starting out because I had like you know entry level jobs, so I had like no money. So I had to, um, you know, it's like okay, I'm going to save up for two months. I'm going to buy this, you know, this season of um, one of the shows I really liked. Uh, it was it was kind of like uh, it was called Bad Girls. It was kind of like a uh, UK Orange Is the New Black before Orange Was the New Black was a, was a thing. Mm-hmm. It's a really kind of gritty. Uh, watershed TV show. It was really great, although it got really soap operaish in the final couple seasons but that's i think that's true with any kind of drama these days Mm -hmm. um but 
but now um, with with Amazon, they've got a they've got a service called BritBox. Yeah, yeah, where, yeah, yeah. Where, yeah, where you can just uh, for like, you know, just a small subscription fee, you can you have access to this whole catalog of just everything, and it's like, you know, like wow. Um, and, and, be, and like back when Doctor Who uh, was uh, came back back in like two thousand four, two thousand five. Um, we we didn't get it over here in, in in the states until like either after the series was over or like it was halfway through. So uh, I found somebody th- on eBay who would um, uh, basically like download them onto a, a DVD and then send them to me. <laughs> so, so I was basically paying for bootlegs on on eBay. Um, but yeah, it was like really expensive. But yeah, now I just got like a couple subscriptions uh, fee or you know like. Um, you know, BritBox or Amazon or um, I guess Disney now because Disney is now going to be the uh, the streaming service for Doctor Who um, when that starts up again. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's gotten a lot easier to get content, a lot cheaper too. So it's, it's been a lot easier in my wallet. And um, the same with anime because, uh, again, I was really into um, – not as much anymore, but, you know, before streaming – It was a nightmare to get anime. Oh, yeah, and and even oh, then yeah, it was yeah. like it, yeah, it was like hard to know what you'd like because uh, you know back when uh, you know a good one third of uh, Best Buy was like you know DVDs and and music, mm-hmm. I would like I would like go down the the anime aisles and it's like well let's see what looks good huh this no this looks interesting and I it, but you know I I didn't have any way of knowing if it was gonna be good or not so it's like okay twenty bucks let's see what happens and like sometimes it'd be like oh my god this is the best thing ever I get I get the whole season or it'd be like. That was a waste of twenty bucks. Yeah, <laughs> and you only get like a handful of episodes. You wouldn't. Oh get yeah, like, oh, yeah, no, season. like four tops. Yeah, you I get had like a friend, four. I had, yeah, I had lucky, a, yeah, I had a friend of mine who tried getting me into One Piece years ago. Oh and I was God, like, no. luck. And they no. said, "Oh yeah, each DVD is like forty bucks." And then I'm like, "Well, how many yeah. episodes on it? Oh, like five. How many episodes are there? Like this many?" And I went, "Yeah, I'm just no. Mm-mm. Yeah, l- I'm sorry, like, I can't. So I ended up just not getting into it for that reason." Yeah, I think there's like a thousand episodes or like there there's an insane amount of episodes for one piece and i'm just like just could you know goddamn no, many no i'm not i'm not no that's 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 too much like you know what i'm i'm all for like you know tons of seasons of content but what one piece is too much it's like no nah, that, that's that's for younger men so let's do the math on that right <laughs> 22 times let's say a thousand episode you know that's twenty two thousand, obviously mm-hmm um, and divided by 24, that's 916 days. God. So wow. you could watch it for literally little less than three years and still get Wait, no, an no, episode a day. Oh my God. Up. That's insane. No, I did that. I did that wrong. All right. A thousand episodes. They're each 22 minutes each. That means that many hours divided by... 24. Okay, it's more like 14 straight days. Oh, okay. Yeah. But still, that's a lot. <laughs> that's way okay, too yeah, much. I, yeah. Okay, um, yeah, I just looked it up. There are currently 1058 episodes of One Piece. Jesus. Like I'm I'm sorry. That's that's too much. That's too much. <laughs> but with Brickbox. No, there's no way. Uh-uh. I'm really happy you mentioned Brickbox cuz my parents just got it and I I need mm-hmm. to get the login from them. But it has all the BBC documentaries. 
Mm-hmm. Oh awesome. yeah, I love those. There's one that I really, really like that you should watch called Extreme OCD Camp. And as someone who lives with OCD, it was so humanizing and so cool. They take a bunch of uh, a bunch of uh, adults living with OCD out into the woods. Like they fly mm-hmm. from the UK to I think like Montana or somewhere in the US, just like oh wow, pristine wilderness, just like no cell signal, no electricity, just wilderness. Mm-hmm. And as someone with OCD, it's just like, thankfully I was I was in in the scouts, so I'm used to kind of like wilderness survival, and I actually really enjoy survival camping. But you know, I I won't lie. It's like if I get something sticky on my hands, like tree sap in the middle of the woods, and I don't have water to wash it off, I'm going to freak the fuck out. Oh, I hate that. Right? Oh god, that's yeah. the worst feeling. And that's like the whole premise of of the two part documentary. It's just like you watch these people go through their individual struggles and challenges, and there was uh, one person on there that uh, really struggled with intrusive thoughts which is part of how Um, my ocd manifests so being able to like sit down and watch that was so cool uh it's still up on youtube thankfully but for a while it was only on the bbc iplayer which mm. if you don't have a vpn in the u.s or anywhere not in the uk you can't get to because it's a public service um yeah so i love britbox for that reason yeah. Yeah. But if you if you if you still have Netflix, there's this really funny mockumentary called um hang on, it's Kunk on Earth. This uh Oh yeah. I just so, saw that for the first time and it yeah. made me laugh so hard. I thought it was the funniest dang thing. Kunk right. So th- this this comedian, um ba- she she made this mockumentary about uh just world history and stuff, and she's obviously just she, she's playing like a clueless um, historian. But what, but what she did was that she, her character, went to all of these actual professors, historians and everything, and just asked her like bonk, asked them like bonkers questions. And mm. th- just their reactions just were like either like, I- I'm sorry, what? Or, or some people just were like some of them who are actually older were just like, fuck it. I'm just going to roll with it. So it's just it's hilarious. I just love it because the, the polite the politeness yes. of like like British historians or British yes. like scientists yes. are being like, she would ask a question like, like, or like, I, I, I can't remember one of the things, but it was so funny. Cause she would ask like a really, like she would lead up to it. It's like, you know, like humans created like tools to get, you know, better. It's like, why didn't they just like, like fuck off and just not do that <laughs> or something. Yeah. Or like, she'll be like, well, why did, why was man, like, why did early man do this? Or, like, why didn't they just, like, do that? And then you just see, like, a historian be like, well, um, uh, reasonably. <laughs> yes. Uh, in that context, I don't think they would have had, like, you know, pizza rolls in that time. Yeah, there's like something that. like it's that. Like, yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. And, like, And I I so wonder, too, if, if they were told, like, after the interview was done that, that she was just taking, you know, they were doing a mock mirror that she was just taking the piss or if they had to wait until the show was actually out and it was like going, okay, that makes more sense now. <laughs> right. It's, it's kind of like the production of Jackass or Borat, right? It's just like, right, yeah. people are yeah. definitely not in on the joke, but the yes. question is, did they get clued in on the joke afterwards? After? Yeah. yeah. Or did they have to wait for the show to come out? <laughs> right. Exactly. 
Yeah. Um, I'm sure there was some clearance. I mean, people, I think because I think think that existed in a different capacity before they've done the show. Like a lot of the people, I think they, they, they asked a lot of the same historians. So they just, they knew it was going to be like, not like a, it was, they knew it was going to be like a jokey program, but they had no idea what questions they were going to be asked. Okay. And they were probably told to like, you have to answer them like you would any other questions you were asked. So. Or or just like roll with the punches and see yeah, how many yeah. people can actually, can actually do it. But I love that. I love, yeah. I love stuff like that. Especially because like – and for some reason she's oddly obsessed with, oh, what music video? Oh, um, uh, Pump Up the Jam. Song? Yes. Pump, Pump Up the, the Jam. jam. She's like oddly obsessed with the song Pump Up the Jam. Yeah, and then they'll just play the – they'll play yeah. like a good like 45 or 50 second clip of the music video for Pump Up the Jam <laughs> then just in the middle and then abruptly yeah. cut to her back like at Stonehenge or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, so every, episode's ha- every episode has Pump Up the Jam with like uh, – with captions saying like stuff that's not true at all about – pump up the jam but it's just so funny yeah you, you have to check it out sometime it's hilarious i will i think it's like the whole thing is that she's like humanity peaked with pump up the jam yeah and then it would it, play yeah. pump up the jam and then yeah. in, in subcap is like this clearly is not true pump up the jam is not you know like it was it's, it's uh, really according great to, according to imdb the character uh was also on charlie brooker's weekly wipe and kunk on britain apparently Oh, okay. I'll have to look that stuff up because, yeah, I, I love the show. They only did like five episodes of Kunk on Earth, so I'll have to. Oh, Charlie Brooker. I think he was the. I think he's the uh, the Black Mirror he's guy. The, yeah, they're Char- yeah. Charlie and Annabelle were the two. Um, uh, yeah, he's he's the black he's the Black Mirror guy. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I'll have to look up more of that. Yeah. But on the note of 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 shows, and this is a right. It, it, it's you know just such a good transition point of you know to mm-hmm. mike like kind of like what i was mentioning earlier about like people are getting more and more ravenous for their mm-hmm. media and yeah with the advent of streaming how has it changed how you work as an animator well the great thing like on the surface the great thing about streaming was that it opened up more opportunities mm-hmm. outside of like you weren't just limited to terrestrial television or direct-to-video movies or what have you there was now these companies wanted to make just more content which on the surface is like wow great more work for us the problem was is that they all realized collectively at the same time oh crap there's no money in this mm-hmm. because like netflix has been literally losing money for years because mm-hmm. the amount of money um, they spend versus the amount of money they make. Because there's a point where, like, if you're a streaming service or any kind of service, there's a point where you increase and your user base increases. So you know that, like, John or Jane Doe is spending, you know, 10 bucks a month or what have you for a subscription service. And that's great. But then there's a moment where the amount of people there are in the world who can afford that and everything kind of peaks and hits up like a plateau. And then unless you do something really different or unique that user base is going to hover and then eventually dwindle mm-hmm. you know people will you know well if a show comes out people will binge a show with a trial with a trial membership and then just mm-hmm. be like oh that's all i wanted to see was the show and then they leave or like for someone like me who's had a who had a netflix subscription since the days of when they used to send dvds out to people yeah me too at the beginning uh, when they were competing with blockbuster um 
And then I just, within the last like eight months, finally got rid of my Netflix subscription just because there was nothing left to watch or nothing really that interested me personally. But the problem is, is that now there's so much content that a lot of it is competing with one another and they're cannibalizing each other. Yeah. They'll come out with a show and then they won't, they have really no means to promote it. You know, most streaming services, unless it's like a big, big, big thing, like, a, or an IP based show or project, it's very hard for them to, they'll come out with the, the next season of a show or the first season of a show, along with four movies and th- five TV shows and mm-hmm. three comedy specials, and they'll just dump them. And then uh, the binge uh, model doesn't really work because people could just binge it and then spoil it. It's made it's made the community of watching something different. It used yeah. to be like a water cooler mentality with watching right. something where you'd be like, oh, did you see that? Like, that's what I like about, like, in the cases of shows like Mandalorian, was that, like, oh, you'd watch the episode, then everybody would be on the same page. And at the end, when all the episodes are out, you could binge it all you want. Right. But, like, it's nice to, to stretch it out. And in the grand scheme, because a lot of these streaming services, one, were dumping all of their stuff out so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and they weren't, they because they didn't know if it was going to be successful, they didn't merchandise it. So by the time they finally realized, like, oh, this is successful, everybody's already been, like, we just watched that and we've already moved on to four other shows that you've released on your thing. We don't care about this anymore. Like, yeah, that's, I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I think. I think Disney and Amazon have realized that, that the Netflix model, um, yeah, people will binge it and they'll forget about it in like a, a month, if, if not sooner, but with Netflix and Disney, like, you know, releasing Mandalorian every week, um, there's, I don't really watch a lot of Amazon shows, but I know that they, they either do like, Oh, they, the Vox Machina, uh, Although they did like a every like each week was like three episodes, so a little bit more than that. But yeah, they yeah. I think I think they realized like I think WandaVision, um, you know, back back during the height of the pandemic, I think it, that got so popular because well, you know, among other things, we, we were starved for content, but also we had no idea what was going on. So and it it just built each each week, and it's like all these theories, like everybody was online, like going, it's Mephisto or no, Reed Richards is going to show up or so like, we had no idea. So it was like, it was like a community again. It's like all these theories and like, Oh my God, what's it going to be? And then, you know, when Agatha Harkness shows up and they do that really cool, like Munsters theme song for her, which yeah. was just epic, which I loved. Um, but yeah, like, like I said, I, I mean, I do like the binge model for some things, but yeah, I, I, I think there's an argument to be made that it's kind of had a, it's it's time and it needs to kind of either go away or maybe not not all at once just also because from a, yeah from a business standpoint it's difficult because you know mm-hmm. the staying power of a show is like if you know that there's eight episodes of this current season of you know say for example mandalorian you know that if you release a new episode a week it's guaranteed that there's going to be a base of people who are going to keep ha- keep their disney plus subscription at least mm-hmm. for eight those eight weeks the, those mm-hmm. two months or whatever it might be yeah. the shows are coming out so that's and then the staying power it's it's staying relevant in the kind of the cultural you know zeitgeist of how people you know nowadays with twitter and social media it keeps that going the problem is is that i mean disney being disney they have a brand like disney is one of the only companies on the planet that has a specific brand in mind and they know exactly who they're catering to and mm-hmm. people know exactly how they're going to get their content Netflix doesn't have a brand. They just have a ton of random stuff. Yeah. Warner, Warner Brothers Discovery with HBO Max. A lot of people were confused and they didn't know like, oh, you guys have like, what, what the hell is HBO Max? Sopranos and Game of Thrones? It's like, well, we have those, but we also have 
all the Warner Brothers stuff. We have all the MGM movies. We have, mm-hmm. you know, DC and Harry Potter and all this stuff. But people didn't know because they weren't promoting it. And then yeah. also the big thing was that they said, even though it was so evident in front of everybody's face, oh, we're not we're not doing ads on our service. <laughs> yeah. We're yeah. not getting any outside money. Yeah. You know, this other than subscription people, people spending 10 bucks or 15 bucks a month, we're not getting any outside revenue. So all the money that goes into producing all this content, imagine if you're I compare it to imagine if you have a if you're if you're running a horse race and you have 10 horses lined up and each of these are a show or a project. And you're like, ooh, I want to bet, I want to win some money on these horses. Which which horse should I bet on? Should I put all the money on that horse or that horse? I know. Let me put all the money on all the horses. So you put, you know, a hundred million dollars on that horse, and a hundred million on that horse, and a hundred million on that horse, and then eventually they the the race starts and all the horses are running. A horse is going to cross the finish line and win, but you still are going to lose money on all the other horses you bet on. Netflix mm-hmm. is putting was putting so much money on so much content so quickly, not knowing how much of it would actually either a be finished, b come out and become and, and be popular. For, you know, for every Stranger Things, there's like ten other ten or fifteen or twenty other shows that didn't even make it past season one because they just said, oh, it didn't get the viewers in the first two days that we wanted, so we're just gonna yeah. let it go. But it's like a lot of people didn't even have time to discover it yet. You know, it's it's stuff like that and. Um, uh, also, another thing too is that this happened back in the 2000s, where shows started doing bombs. Remember when, like, back in the like the 2000s, people would do like, "Oh, we're doing a bomb. We're releasing ten episodes this week, back to back." And mm-hmm. here you go. And it's like the people who work on these shows. Yeah. It's like, yeah, they did it. Steven Universe did it. I mean, they did it way back when at Nickelodeon. I think I remember when they did it for like Cat Dog. Mm-hmm. That was back in like 2000, 2002. Yeah. And it's it's literally like, oh, you literally just put out what normally would have taken weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks to release these and keep it relevant. You literally just dumped our entire season of a show mm-hmm. out in like a week and you made it kind of like an event, but it lost all its staying power. Yeah. And by the time it's and by the time you realize like, oh, people really love this thing. Let's merchandise. It's like it's that's old news. I don't care mm-hmm. anymore. Like they're announcing stuff like new Squid Game stuff. First of all, they're completely missing the point of Squid Game. But yeah. They're making yeah. Squid Game stuff, but it's like Squid Game wasn't relevant. Is it relevant anymore? Like it was relevant right. a year and a half ago when it came out and people were yeah. – because there was nothing else to watch and we needed something. But that's mm-hmm. a year – That's that might as well be 20 years ago. It's like mm-hmm. them coming out with an Avatar movie, you know, you know, almost 15 years after the first one. It's like is Avatar still relevant? Like are people still like jiving on Avatar after this long? Or like and, and one right? more thing before – yeah. And one more thing before I talk everyone's ear off about this thing uh, in regards to um, relevancy and things like that. Like the – I heard the story. One of the big uh, stories was um, with Netflix um, because they don't merchandise their stuff. Mm. Right. So like people are wondering like – Netflix is probably all wondering like, oh my god, the biggest Halloween costume last year – or the year before, was Squid Game. People were getting Squid Game costumes, and it's like, oh, man, look at all that money Netflix is making. Netflix didn't make any merch for Squid Game. First of all, they acquired it from Korea. That was a Korean show, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And they acquired that. They didn't make any merch off that. People had to make those costumes. So that's another income stream that Netflix missed out on, and they lost tons of money on. And now Netflix is canceling, I mean, the animation side of, it, of, of stuff. They're still making stuff, but it's not at the 
the wow capacity that it was two or three years ago when they first started announcing shows. Now they're just canceling everything. And now it's a lot of companies are realizing this all at the same time. Disney and, uh, you know, uh, Warner Brothers, because Warner Brothers and Cartoon Network are under the same umbrella. So all those, there's not a lot of, you know, there's a lot of people. A few years ago, there was a shortage. There was not enough people for the shows that they were making. Now it's the opposite. Now there's, it's, it's, we're sort of in a weird dip, but the pendulum mm-hmm. always back and forth. Yeah. But it's still kind of frustrating to be like, it's evident, like you guys should have just did this, 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 and this, and you would have been fine. And every, and the, the writing was on the wall years ago, but all these, you know, people who are executives and things, they're like, no, 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 we want the money now. I'd rather have more money in my pocket right now than playing the long game and be like, well, we'll make more money in the grand scheme. Because you know how long their regime, or not regime, I say that in a weird way, but their employment at that company is going to last before they leave or go to another company. They want to mm-hmm. make as much money right now as they can. So they'll milk it dry and then be like, oh, we we spent all, we we made tons of Star Wars content and now everybody is tired of Star Wars. Oops. <laughs> like we yeah. were like, <laughs> yeah. You know, or DC or Marvel or whatever. Yeah. It's just it's a glut of stuff. You're like, and you're just releasing it again and you're just coming out with stuff constantly. It's I can't keep track. Whenever they do like those those Disney days where they're like, here's what Disney Plus is announced Disney is announcing all the stuff. And it's like overwhelming because it's like you announced like five movies and seven shows and ten of this and eighteen of that. And I'm like, I just I can't absorb all that information. And now none of those things have any um you know gravitas anymore because it's it's diminished by coming out with 15 million other things at the same time. So there's no standout things. There's like, you know, the Marvel people are going to love the Marvel stuff and the classic Disney folks are going to love the kind of the Disney style stuff. But when you release all of it in one big just wave at you, you mm. can't really properly absorb and take in each individual thing as a as a unique, strong uh, piece of, you know, media that you can absorb. So it's sort of overwhelming. We live in a kind of a weird glut of time right now where there's just so much stuff but none of it has the staying power that it did years ago yeah. mm-hmm. well, that's, that's, i've gone on for yeah minutes. yeah well that's kind of a good segue i think to to your uh stuff aaron like you know spotify and like releasing music online because that's that's completely changed the the industry now um hardly anyone really buys physical media. I mean, that's true for like everything, but especially like CDs, although, you know, vinyl's making a comeback because it's, you know, it's kind of a, a niche thing now, but how's, how is it, has it changed? I mean, I mean, you're, you're younger than me. Um, you know, I was, I was still buying records when I was a kid. So, um, Mm. but has it changed a lot since, um, since you were a kid, since you were in a band, since, since your, your new band now, how's that all been going on? You know, it's funny. Because when I was uh, 14, that's actually when I started buying records, like not CDs, but actual like vinyl records is is Mm -hmm. when I got started. And that's before like the big explosion in popularity. I just saw bins and bins and bins of these records. I'm like, wow, it's like my CDs, but really big. This is this is cool. (laughs) I want this. I took it home. Mm -hmm. My, My parents were like, what the fuck? That's so obsolete. And I was just like, nah, it's cool. I like it. But um. And I thought, you know, when we switched to, you know, everyone had an iPod or an MP3 player who could, you know, afford one, I really thought that, you know, that would be it. Like, why would I ever carry around my CDs? And, you know, what's really interesting is 
being someone who owns a, a small independent record label and someone who does, you know, someone who produces music and plays music, there's a lot of people in Gen Z specifically who are rediscovering CDs and are saying, this is cool. We like this in much the same way I looked at my vinyl records. And so when, when I use the word kid, I'm using it in the punk rock jargon sense where the people right. in the crowd are the kids. That's not me infantilizing generation Z because at this point, most of them can vote. Um, yeah. So when kids go to shows and they go to the merch table, what I see a lot of the time is they're interested in, you know, the posters, the stickers, the t-shirts, you know, whatever. Th those will always be popular. Mm -hmm. But for the ones, because the people who buy physical media of a thing that they like, those are like the ride or dies, right? You have to really like something to devote like, a, the physical space in the place that I live will be devoted to holding this object that contains my favorite media on it because that's what physical media is. Right. And so for the kids who like see a band they really, really like, and they want to go to the merch table and support them. They're like, do you have CDs and tapes like cassette tapes? And I'm, oh, wow. I never thought I would see uh, cassette tapes make a comeback because that's what uh, that's what we had when I was when I was young. And then because for a while, kind of like how DVDs were wicked expensive at first, mm -hmm. CDs were also wicked expensive for a while, like 20 bucks in 2004. Mm -hmm. No, thank you. I'll get the <laughs> tape. But um, and it's because um the people who are buying physical media um, generally are like the younger, like super enthusiastic music fans. And a lot of them are young to the point where they're like just getting their first cars, getting their licenses and they don't have a lot of money to throw around. So they get like some cheap shitty car that only has a tape deck in it. And if they want to listen to a band, they either have to get, well, you can't even use like those like aux cable things anymore because phones don't have auxiliary outputs anymore. Unless you get yeah. those dongles. Yeah, unless you get like a, get a tape to Bluetooth dongle, but those are like those like never work. So a lot of <laughs> a lot of people, and this is what kids at merch tables have told me, is just like my car only has a tape deck. I need more music for my car. And I'm like, duh, that makes sense. But when it comes to moving away from physical media and how honestly really cool it is to see something I grew up with become like a nostalgia novelty. Like, I think that's really, really cool because people here who are younger than me, they will, they'll ask like, and I'm sure you two have had this experience too, of just like, Oh, do you know what an eight track is? I'm like, yeah, I know what an eight track is. Let me tell you yeah. how much it sucks. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. um, when it comes to the actual production of music, um, the music industry has become so incredibly bullshit uh, mm. from the time that I was in my band, which I left around 2018 till now, 2023. I basically just took a sabbatical over the whole <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> um, now in 2023, joining a new band. 
um, the game is completely different. And that's because TikTok is now a thing. Uh, oh, yeah. TikTok yeah. almost single handedly has changed the entire Western music industry um, mm. in that it has further eroded uh, attention spans of people. <laughs> Not not naming any generation specific, just like humanity in general has devolved because of things like TikTok. <laughs> but um, it's that. But also that's where music is discovered now. Right. And mm-hmm. so as soon as you put your music up, people are able to use it as a sound like the backing track in a TikTok. And now record labels are like withholding releases and punishing artists who are signed to their labels who don't make TikToks. Uh, famously, uh, Florence and the Machine, before she put out Dance Fever, the label actually was saying like, if you don't make X number of TikToks that get X, that get Y amount of engagement, we will withhold your release. And so Florence had to come out and say like, I'm being held hostage musically. And it's just like another example of just like how dog shit the industry is and always has been. But so it's kind of one of those things where it's like, if you, if you're in a band or you're a solo act and you want to, you know, make it big in showbiz in music. (laughs) I don't know why I did like Alistair from, (laughs) from has been hotel, but you know, we got there. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you, if you want to make it big, now you have to play the game. And mm-hmm. 99% of the game means you're not holding your instrument. You're holding your phone and you're engaging on social media. You're playing the engagement game. And honestly, per- participating in a rat race, that's really detrimental to your mental health. Mm-hmm. So what we're doing in my band is we're we're thinking about just bringing someone on to do the social media for us. So we can just focus on playing shows and practicing and being as tight and like in control and like in the pocket as we can during live performances and just cut our teeth and make our name as the band that puts on a really good live show, because that's all we want to do is we want to have fun with it. Right. That's where your passion lies. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it's just like, I don't expect to make a ton of money doing this. I just want to have fun and and hit the drums as hard as I can. Right. That's what it's all about at the end of the day. But there are so many people who are in much different socioeconomic situations that I am that have music and not much else. And so for them, in order for them to escape the situations in which they find themselves living in, they have to play this this game that systemically exploits young talent and packages them up. And what that means as a producer is a lot of music you'll hear now is something that we've called, something that we've been talking about in the industry since like the 2000s, since the advent of and really explosion of CDs. And that's called the loudness war. Uh, and that's basically like how heavy of a compressor can you throw on your mastering tape to squash the dynamics and make it as side chained and the bass as impactful as possible, which I don't mind personally, 
up until recently because you know there's it's just a big full in your face sound which is great for rock music and great for hip hop music and great for a, a, a bunch of contemporary music genres but um now we hear it like if you remember Island Boy like that whole yeah. thing that was hot for like a month the actual studio produced track the bass sounds like <gasps> and it's just the worst goddamn thing I've ever heard. It sounds like, like fucking fat bastard from Austin Powers just <laughs> opening up his ass cheeks and farting onto a shirt. SM7B. Oh God! It is that bass is offensive. It's awful. Why? Oh ter- why turn? Like, how can you possibly think? Oh like, God. oh, take your music and somehow can you turn it into like nondescript noise? Because it gets clicks. Mm. Because it's so bad, and everyone was clicking on it's, Island. It's ironic. Like, ironic clicks. Yeah. Exactly. Everyone was in on the joke except for the Island Boys. And so it's just like, oh, this is a modern day all star. It's a modern day Smash Mouth situation. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And which is so funny because Smash Mouth, like the front man, is just a really wacky individual. We'll get into that in a different episode. Oh, yeah. But what what's happened is music has become so commodified to the point where it's you know, it, it, and there's also listening habits have changed, right? Because now mm-hmm. a band, along with playing the social media game, now has to adhere to a very rapid cadence, right? And so albums are no longer selling. Now the hotness is singles, maybe EPs. Um, and the cadence is like try to release a single one every two to three months. And follow it up with video content of some kind, preferably music video, but those are expensive. So Mm. maybe a lyric video or something in that cadence is release five or six songs as singles constantly throughout the year. And what that's done to listening habits is, uh, especially with younger demographics listening to music, uh, people have found people will throw singles into playlists and, you know, play through and shuffle and whatever. But more often, and what's really interesting is people are just putting it on repeat one and listening to new songs on loop. And what that's done to the production of music, I think, is the biggest indicator of where we are in the industry is the most songs um back in the old days the rule was <laughs> three minutes and 30 seconds right mm-hmm. and that had to do with like listening to music on the radio attention spans how much you could fit on a record how much you could fit on a cd like three minutes and 30 seconds was the old sweet spot now the new sweet spot is one minute and 59 seconds or less wow that's like going back to the days of um what were the small records called? Think, Do you remember uh, when they used to like flexi records that you get in a magazine or like, no, my mom used to keep them. They were, oh, the 45. They were like full 45. Yeah, 45. Yeah. Yeah. 45. It's like going back to the age of 45s and buying 45s again. It's funny. Cause I actually have some 45s mounted on my wall. Right nice. I should have known that, but <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's going back to 45s. And it's so funny because it's like, we used to make fun of the Ramones for all their songs being so short, but now it's just mm-hmm. like the Ramones would fucking clean up 
these days. They were ahead of their time. <laughs> yeah. But I'll tell you why everything is so short. And it's not because of attention spans. It's not because radio is dead. It's not because of all the things. It's because people, since they are listening to songs on repeat over and over, every single time you click on a song, um, whatever PRO organization represents that track, it pays out per click. So mm -hmm. if someone's listening to it on repeat and the song is less than two minutes in an hour, it's going to get more plays than a song that's three minutes and 30 seconds. Right. And so a lot of labels, the new radio edit is like the quick, like fast edit, like chop done, send it out. That's the single. And then when the album or the EP comes out, they'll have the album version, which is like, oh, we cut out the bridge. We cut out a verse. We cut out the outro. We cut out the fucking spoken word skit in the middle of the track. And that all that comes later. But that first initial bump, that first just like line of clout that you get from your release has to be so insanely calculated that it's not even like fun anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I had, um, it was a couple years ago. I was watching on MTV. Um, they did like a retrospective of TRL and how oh, like a TRL. lot of, yeah, like, but back in the day, you know, at, at its height, you know, uh, artists would, you know, they would go on TRL and then across the street from the, um, the Times Square studio they had, there was like, I think a tower records or Virgin records, like uh, one of those. And so, yeah, they would they would do their thing and they would sometimes like just go over to Tower Record, the record store, whichever it was. And yeah, and they would just just like clean up with, you know, people coming out, you know, going over, wanting to buy their new stuff. And and now that, yeah, that's that's pretty much just gone. And I, I think like on the last on the last TRL episode, they were interviewing some some of the people who would who had gone on there. And um, like one of them uh, was just one of the artists was just saying like, man, now that TRL was over and now that, you know, CDs were on the decline and everything because of, of digital and everything, it's like, damn, man, how am I going to, how am I going to sell my records now? Just because everything had changed. And yeah, it just seems like it just, it just keeps evolving, but no one really knows what's, you know, the, the model is, isn't as stable or as predictable as it, as it was. So it's just like, we're just keeping, we're just keeping playing catch up. It's like the wild west almost out there. Yeah. And I, I, I have a musician friend and I, we were talking one day about um, how now different digital services for streaming between like Spotify and Apple Music and Amazon Music and what have you, Apple, you know, um, the amount of money you actually get as a musician when it's played on certain services, you have to, your song needs to play a certain number of times in order for you to make a make a dollar like they did a, they did the math and they figured out like the best like the amount you got the best money in the long run you would have you would only need to have your song played this many times in order to make a dollar on you know App apple music versus amazon music versus spotify versus what have you and that's a whole nother thing where people are i mean people aren't getting um you know it, there's it's harder for people to get properly uh paid and compensated for what they do mm -hmm. those means because it's not like you know if you have physical you know records and physical things you could sell that's one thing but like now that someone else is in charge of how your your stuff is being not only um distributed but how 
it takes in money. It's sort of yeah. It, it makes it makes me wonder if um, if the days of like the ultra rich, you know, artists, you know, the you know, be it rock, country, hip hop, whatever, if if that's going to be a while before we see that again, because you know, because you know, back in the day, you know, they had, they had the touring where they made a lot of money, but also with their CDs and and everything. But now that that's it's harder to make a money now. I wonder if it's going to be a while before. And I'm, I'm talking about like newer artists, not, not like the, you know, Bruce Springsteen was, is always going to be rich. Um, you know, Dolly, Reba, all that for country music fans, but like for, for newer artists, is it going to be harder for them to be like, you know, to make it big, like, like people in the past did. I think personally, mm-hmm. not only are we going to see it, I think we're going to see it more because music and art has become so disposable because I guarantee you, if we open up TikTok tomorrow, there will mm-hmm. be a new hotness and next week it will be gone. And so in that time labels, you know, because there's the, the feeding frenzy, right? Mm-hmm. Labels will, as soon as they sniff something in the water, they'll just throw money at an artist and say, do something. And, out of all the people they throw money at kind of like betting on 10 horses at once, mm-hmm. one of them probably is going to have some sort of some sort of staying power at least. And all the, the way that the industry has been for a long time is artists only on a good day, make about 9% of their sales and the label wow. assuming they're on a major label makes 91%. And that's not accounting for, and that's what we call points, right? Right. And instead of percentage, it's just points because it's less syllables. It's faster, easier to say it gets the point across. Yeah. The producer usually takes one or two points. The songwriter takes a point. Um, and then whatever points are left gets split up between you and your bandmates. And so whatever you sell, you're lucky, really lucky to make 1% on any money that comes in. And that includes wow. the 0.00001 cent that you make on a Spotify play. And so in that it's, it's, um, it's never been about the music. It's always been about the live performance, the ticket sales. It's always been about the mm-hmm. merch. But most importantly, musicians make their money on sponsorships. Mm. That is where musicians make money. Uh, and licensing. Licensing and sponsorships is... Those are the secrets to becoming a professional musician. It's not album sales... It's not the grind. It is, it's like playing the music, the 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 business side of it. Mm-hmm. So I think that we're still going to see rich and famous musicians for a really long time. Do you think we'll see like about the same or less? I, th- I think we'll see the same. You know, as okay. as the current um, batch of. Because a lot of the the musicians that were like still big in the '60s, mm-hmm. like the Beatles, um, right. they're still around, right? And they're still playing music, and may they do so for a long time. But Some of them, at, as we see the cohort of people who really revolutionized contemporary music, start to fade out. I, you know, there'll those will be shoes that have to be filled. So 
Hmm. I think we'll see a steady because humans will always create art no matter mm-hmm. how bad the economy is, no matter how war torn the planet is, humans will always create art. And so I think there, there will always be a stream of new talent entering their ideas into the collective conscious. Yeah. Um, Mike on, on a, on a similar note. So uh, one thing about, I, I guess YouTube's sort of streaming kind of, but um, there's been a lot of uh, content lately from people, uh, you know, Aaron had mentioned uh, Has Been Hotel and um, Hell of a Boss, which that those both originated, well, it's the same people, but they both originated on YouTube. Um, and I, I, I don't know if they've gotten picked up by bigger studios or something, what the thing is, but it, do you see, like, YouTube also becoming kind of a, a way for artists uh, or animators and creative talent to like kind of break through and, and maybe find their own kind of like revenue stream through that. Like, I guess basically by self-publishing. It used to be uh-huh. um, before YouTube's algorithm changed from um, clicks for views versus minutes viewed. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot easier. That's when you started seeing people doing unboxing videos and let's plays when that really picked, uh, blew up was mm-hmm. because you know, if an animator, say for example, is spending, I don't know, three or four months making a cartoon, and there was a point where every time I got a click, you get that's you know that's a point, that's a thing, that's a that's money in your pocket. Now it's by minutes viewed. If you spend four three months on a video, and people you know watch your three minute car- your you know your whatever minute cartoon that you spent months on, it's not going to get as much in terms of uh, viewership as um, someone doing a 20 minute uh, unboxing video or a a makeup tutorial video, or I know people who used to be Newgrounds animators who went and ended up saying, well, I can't make money on YouTube anymore or any of these means because the algorithm keeps changing. I can't, I can't uh, make any money in regards to, um, uh, sorry, my train of thought just left. Oh, good. Yeah. There's like now you there's certain um, content requirements. You can't say certain words within the first thirty seconds of a video. You can't show. Wow, really? Yeah. Yeah, it's harder. And if you're animation, YouTube automatically assumes it's for kids, and kids content is not monetized at all. So if it's a cartoon, they're like, "Oh, it's animated. It must be for kids," and then they'll automatically put a flag on it. Um. Mm-hmm. The only reason, and I can't speak for um, uh, Vivian and the Spindle Horse team, but, you know, obviously it's getting, you know, more people have access to YouTube. YouTube is free and it's, you know, you can, anybody could go on YouTube and watch something and get the views and get, it gets, you know, it gets notoriety, it gets spread and and word of mouth gets spread around. But, um I'm not 100% sure, but I'm, I'm sure a lot of the money that they make from mm-hmm. that comes from also having to promote it, selling merchandise, right. selling merchandise and um, um, doing con visits and signings and doing, you know, the I've, you know, a lot of my colleagues are also actors on the show and they have to do uh, signings on, sh- like, what is it, Streamily or Streamy or whatever it is? They have to go, do, they me. have to do um, either con trips or, or stuff like that mm. in order to 
justify. It's the same as like, um, you know, people who work in, co- I mean, you, you might know this more so Joe, but people who work in comics, just because they're doing a comic, it's not the only thing they're working on. They have to do oh, yeah. once and they're barely making even doing a comic, even if they yeah. sell uh, a big book for a company it's, or through a publisher, they still have to do a ton of other stuff in order just to make ends meet, you know, and actually have to go to things like uh, cons and signings and, and yeah, commissioned work and freelance work and spec work and all kinds of work. Um, yeah. And, and even then, um, yeah, like um, there's a there's a prolific uh, comic book writer, Peter David. Uh, he, he's a little polarizing, but um, but but he you know he he at any given time he would re- write like two or th- like like a lot of of different uh, comic books, you know, like X Factor and Spider Man and well, he might not no Incredible Hulk stuff like that. But then he would also write like a ton of uh, Star Trek novels too. So yeah, those yeah, I mean. There, there are some people like you know Jim Lee and some other uh, people who you know make bank because of off their reputations and stuff. But yeah, for for, the, for a lot of them, it's just like yeah, they're having to to go out and just you know write just write everything, and some are able to to become really successful novelists from it or screenwriters and stuff. But yeah, it's you know people who do comics don't do it don't usually do it to be you know rich and famous, but because they love it and they want to they want to write these characters and everything. So. Yeah, and and my last thing about it is, uh, or at least from a creative side, the last thing I'll say about it is just um, I admire any creative person who's really good at managing time, mm. really good at um, juggling many things. It's hard. Like right now I'm at a point where I'm doing multiple. I, I used to like I like having a studio gig because it's steady. Mm-hmm. It gives me one thing to focus on and it covers my rent. And it covers all my bills and everything's set up. And I come in and I work and collaborate with other people. With work from home and uh, the state of the industry right now, uh, I'm doing multiple freelance projects right now. And I have to learn mm. to balance my time between doing one freelance project and another. Um, it's it's a lot. It's daunting. It's not yeah. surprising. I hear stories about people who work in like different fields like comics or uh, mm-hmm. Another big one is people who work in anime. You're the oh, story God. Oh, yeah. under their desks and making nothing and having to just nip and tuck, get stuff out. It's like, it's, it's an absolute surprise that any of that stuff even gets made. Yeah. Know? Well, in, in, in manga, like even the, even like the, like the rich and popular manga artists or in writers and stuff who, who actually make a good amount of money just because of their insane schedule. Like I, there was one person, I, I can't remember which, who it was or which series it was, but he actually had to, like postpone his his honeymoon because he he kept having to you know get his content out. So I, I, I think it was like for a year or two. So yeah, it's tough when you if you put out a weekly you know if you put it, if your if your pages have to appear in a magazine every week or two weeks mm-hmm. or, or what have you. I don't know exactly what the schedule is, but it's like you you wonder like the most prolific um, artists out there are ones that. Um, we're able to just sort of keep going with that for so long, but how long can one person go doing mm. multiple pages a week and hoping that you can break even, you know, yeah. that's all that, that all a creative really wants is just stability and the ability to create and put all their energy into the things they're really passionate about to create. It's very hard when 
you're working against sort of the the new uh, parameters that society has just sort of made for you. Like the fact that animated content, um, there's so much money who goes into it, but the dollar doesn't go as far as it used to yeah. in regard to producing the content uh, or making the content or um, they expect the people who work on the shows to promote the content. Because yeah. you could tell when I see more people talking about a show who've worked on it and talk about the stuff they've worked on, then the then the company that they're that's distributing it themselves promoting it, you know, it's it's kind of sad, but it's sort of the nature yeah. of it right now, and it's sort of, um, in a way, it becomes a little demoralizing. But I've I, that's why I've learned to focus on doing independent work too, just for yeah. myself, keep myself creatively sane, mm-hmm. financially. Yeah story that's a whole other kettle of fish yeah well that, that's why i like patreon so much because uh th- there's like you know youtuber podcasts and stuff that i listen to that it's like okay i like these guys i want to throw them a couple of bucks here so that you know um they can keep doing the show but also that they can you know uh have have extra income so that you know, right. not only can they keep doing the show, but you know that they can have you know a decent standard of living too, do it while doing the show yeah. and everything. But depending and, on what you're doing, you're still at the mercy of having to deliver stuff constantly in order to maintain a subscriber. There, yeah, there's that so too. Yeah, you still have to be like, well, I need to put out at least one fit because you know if I just like I'm the type of person who has a Patreon, mm-hmm. uh, and just because I'm so busy, I I I didn't have time to update it, so yeah. my Patreon account dwindled originally it was going to be a production blog for my film but then i was so busy mm-hmm. working full time at a studio plus doing freelance work plus doing other stuff that i wasn't able to update and that was you know an income stream that was nice for a while but mm-hmm. it was hard to maintain and then it was disappointing knowing that so and so had to cancel and it tells you like their exit interview why they or the exit survey why did they stop subscribing oh they didn't put out enough content mm-hmm. or they it didn't justify the cost of how much I was spending. So like, I like knowing at least with Patreon, I like keeping it almost like a tip jar. If you like my work, please thank yeah. you for joining me. Throw a dollar at me every once in a while. Or like, what is a coffee where you don't yeah. make money, you know? Oh yeah. yeah, Coffee or whatever it is. Yeah. I, yeah. I love coffee. There's a, there's a YouTuber that I, I subscribe to that. I, I like to send him stuff every now and then just cause like, Hey, great video, man. Here you go. Get yourself a, you know, dinner on me or something. Yeah. So yeah. also a lot of the money that I make on Patreon, I don't keep most of it. I take that money and I distribute it to other creatives. <laughs> Thanks, so nice. Where wherever whatever money I I make, mm-hmm. I probably only pocket maybe if at all twenty five percent. Because most of it, if I'm if I'm also supporting other people's Patreon, the money gets pulled out of that anyway and goes to those other patrons, which I'm happy doing. Oh yeah, I like supporting. You know. If everybody gave everybody a dollar, you know, like it would, yeah, yeah. you know, but it's, uh, it's like that joke: millennials pass around the same twenty bucks. Yeah, yeah, it's true. My Venmo account can tell you that. Like I've had, yeah, I've literally, yeah. I've literally yeah. bought uh, friends of my lunch back and forth for like the last mm-hmm. two years. So, <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those things, right? Where it's just like I would kill for a studio position. Like, mm. bring me on as an engineer, as a tech, as a producer, anything. I would kill mm-hmm. for stability. Mm. And also, it's just like, you know, there's the pros and cons of freelance versus uh, salaried or hourly even. But at the end of yeah. the day, 
you know, being, you know, I'm an adult. I own a home. I'm getting married. I'm, I'm settling down. And like, I'm not as like, you know, wild, dumb and free as I used to be. You know, I, I could really use some stability. I feel yeah, like. sleeping on your amps and everything, right? God, never again. My back, would, <laughs> my back would kill me if I slept on an amp these days. <laughs> like, like I was a, I was a junkyard kid. So for me, yeah. like, um, I still have the mentality that like I might be financially okay, but tomorrow, if I screw up, I'm going to be living out of my car. You know, I mm. still have that mentality every. I think about it every day. Mm. There's nothing worse than being in a position where you watch your bank account statements just do this. Yeah, yeah. It's going in to support it. It's a weird time. And um, if I had to, I could go back to those. But that's what I like about the stability of a union job. Like I I worked, you know, I'm a union member. I work union shows. Hell yeah. I like this. I like the the protection I get to make sure I'm not getting screwed over. Mm-hmm. Uh, Health care is nice. Yeah. Um, things like that. Um, but more importantly for me, the thing I miss is about working in person at a studio was just knowing that I could work around other creative people. And I feel like I'm creatively growing as a person and not stagnating. Now I'm just creating in a bubble and I real, and this is something I, and this is a whole nother topic for another day, but it's mm. definitely something where I realized that everything I love about my job just doesn't exist anymore. Like I like to draw. Mm-hmm. I, I do it because I enjoy it. I mean, it was stress relieving for me. And then I realized, and then I, somehow decided to turn it into a way of making a living and uh but now it's just i plug like even with my freelance work i plug in i turn i, I put my computer on at nine o'clock i turn it off at five. Oh no not even that much because i i work i now work in the same position that i that i uh live so there's no separation anymore between where i work and where i live and i used to be able to go to work and commute and stream mm-hmm. in way to and the way from put some music on put on a podcast what have you come home and then my and then my home was my escape from work now yeah exists in the same space and i can't really escape it i'm in my room i'm in this room sometimes you know you know anywhere between 12 to 16 hours a day oh wow it's not good for my it's just creative from a mental and, and physical and emotional health point of view, it's not great. But from a creative side too, it's just, it's, it's, I hate feeling stagnant and feeling that I've uh, socially and creatively plateaued. Mm. And um, that's also partially due. I mean, one thing is the pandemic, but also just the nature of how productions are done now. Yeah. You know, we're, we've been working on shows where the entire production was made completely, um, remote from each other and somehow stuff got made and that's why it's hard with stuff like streaming oh thank you so much for keeping our industry afloat during the pandemic animation kept the entire entertainment industry afloat for the entire pandemic because it was the only thing that people could actually make people could work on their computers from home and make and draw and send their stuff in it was easily done and then once you know the pandemic wind down and people wanted to go back into the studio again all the studios at once were like, thank you for helping, keeping us afloat. Now um, uh, get out. So now it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like, gee, thanks. You know, it's it's sort of it, it's sort of a tough pill to swallow too. But um, I, I'm hopeful that, you know, things will get better. Things will pick up. Just 
these um, these large companies need to figure out what the hell they're doing. Yeah, <laughs> they really do. <laughs> I mean, I'd rather work on you know, I'd rather them put out you know, a dozen you know, twenty million dollar movies than one five hundred million dollar movie mm-hmm. or whatever it is. You know, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's, that'd be a good topic for another another time. But yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's like a horse-sized duck or duck-sized horse type situation there. Yeah, what would you rather fight? A hundred yeah. little horses or one really big horse or whatever it is? A hundred yeah. little horses. Yeah. Um, before we wrap things up, Joe, uh, question for you. And yeah. Marvel, DC, Shonen Jump, etc. they all have subscription services to read their comics. Mm-hmm. Are you on them? And if not, why? Um, actually, my girlfriend is on the and the Marvel, the Marvel Unlimited. Gotcha. And yeah. Yeah. And yeah, we uh, we really love it because um going to get romantic here, but we, uh, we snuggle up on the couch and, and read Aww. them together. Yeah. Oh, that's adorable. Oh. Yeah, but no, it's it's great because, um, y- you know, again, it's like I can I can see which series that I like. So I, I like actually having physical media still. So um, for the stuff that I really like, I, I've I've gone out and and bought stuff. So I've I've bought like um, the omnibus of you know Tomb of Dracula from the seventies. Um, I bought uh, Jonathan Hickman's uh, the Krakoa Age. Um, my girlfriend and I were currently reading uh, Daredevil. So it, yeah, Marvel Unlimited has been great. And some of the stuff is free, some of the stuff you pay for, which is totally valid. But it's it's a really great service, you know, to to just kind of like uh, see what's out there. Um, and, and again, since the with the pandemic, even, you know, you still can't be too careful. But also, and, and some, some of my stores have gone out of business, unfortunately, because of that. Oh, no. So it's... It, yeah, so it, it, it lets you um, see what's out there, kind of keep up with everything, and then and explore new stuff. So yeah, it's I, I highly recommend it. How has it uh, changed the production pipeline or the writing pipeline? Has there been any sort of notable industry shifts with that, or what's what's the tea? Not that I've noticed, because uh, you know the the physicals um, books, which they, they call floppies. Um, you know, they're, they're still getting released at the, at the same amount. Um, although, although now the digital gives them, you know, an, a d- different revenue stream, uh, another d- revenue stream, because, you know, some people just want to, uh, buy online and then buy them all at once online. So, um, I haven't really noticed much of a change. Um, probably the biggest change to comics really is just that, um, it used to be that, only like the big stories ever got released in, in trade paperbacks, like graphic novel forms. Like, like I, I spoke about this last time, um, you know, the dark Phoenix saga, Inferno, things like that. But now everything gets released in trade paperback more or less. So, and each, each trade paperback is usually about six, six uh, issues. So now stories are always at least, you know, six, uh, like a particular arc or story is at least six issues long, if not more. But now it's like they they rarely have any like single issue stories anymore, which is like, which is fine. But I I kind of miss just like the one and done. It's like okay, 
here's that wacky adventure. Here's a here's a nice breathing wacky adventure before we you know we cut your heart out and kill your favorite characters. So. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And I just want to just point out something. Mm-hmm. There is something so delightfully beautifully Gen X about you and your girlfriend curling up on the couch and reading comic books together. That's so yeah. fucking cute. That's adorable. Yeah. yeah we, uh, we both like comics We're um, we've both been comic comic fans forever. And, and yeah, she, when she came to visit me, she was like, Oh, Hey, I've got this. You want to like, I can cast it to your TV and we can, we can read it. And we just like, yeah, that sounds like fun. And we, yeah, we started reading and then, you know, we, cuddle up a little bit and then we lay down so it's just like it's like it's like oh, no you, you went too fast go back I, I haven't finished you know what, what daredevil said so <laughs> so when uh when i go and visit her uh on this weekend i'm hoping we'll be able to do that again because it's, it's it's fun to read comics with your uh with your girlfriend so <laughs> sweet yeah adorable thank you <laughs> and also awesome discussion tonight uh do we have any closing points that we want to touch on before we wrap things up i think i've talked enough (laughs) (laughs) mike you can you are more than welcome to just talk my ear off anytime because i love hearing what you have to say so don't ever apologize and while i while uh while we were talking i drew a little cow Oh, oh my God. It's like a weird cow. It's not a real, it's a pretty ugly looking cow. (laughs) No, I love them. What's like a Looney Tunes cow? Yeah. Oh, what's what's the cow's name? Yeah. The cow's name? um, Yeah. uh, Mabel? I didn't really think about it. It was just (laughs) those things where I started with the eyes and then I'm like, oh, I guess I'm drawing these eyes and then i started drawing a snout and then i'm like i guess it's a cow (laughs) uh for now i'm gonna call it um i'm gonna call them um uh uh slider Slider. (laughs) they're eventually going to wind up at white castle oh god many i mean i wonder how many white castle burgers come out of one cow Probably a lot. Jesus yeah. Christ. Best not to think about it. Figure out. That's homework oh. for you guys at home. Figure out how many bur- how many <laughs> from a cow uh, gets converted into a White Castle cheeseburger and how many crave cases would that fill up? God damn it. <laughs> Listen, come to Cleveland. I'm going to buy you White Castle. <laughs> That's literally uh, the moment I get off the plane and you pick me up. There better be a hug and a crave case ready for <laughs> you. God, buddy. <laughs> it's nibblers. All right. Um, let's go around the table, say who we are, who we were. Uh, Joe, let's start with you this week. Uh, I'm Joe. You'll find me here. I really don't have much of a social media presence besides just lurking on Twitter, doom scrolling. But uh, <laughs> my, my, my fellow co-hosts have more stuff online. So, Mike, what, where can they find you? Um, I'm mostly on Twitter, um, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, yeah. On, uh, my my username is at a guy who draws, and I'm on there. You can also find some of my stuff on Vimeo. You just look under look for my name um, on Vimeo. I'm also on Instagram, Michael J Rocco on Instagram. Uh, I try to post there, um, you know, as much as I feasibly can outside of my paid work i try to do little doodles and warm-ups here and there um i don't know if i'll probably post this cow 
this cow will already be out by the time you listen to this, but I'll probably post this cow today who's drawing this random duel of a cow. But um, yeah, and uh, what about you? I have been, <clears throat> excuse me, while my throat just collapsed on itself as soon as I started talking. <laughs> I have been Aaron Jade Eigel. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Sodder and Stand Mixer. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of social media presence because I don't like social media, but you can Fair. email. Uh, you can email me and email the show at popcouturepodcast at gmail.com. That is the best way to get in touch. Uh, I believe that's all we've got for this week. Ready to sign off? I am. All right, cool. Uh, well, that has been Pop Couture episode three. Thank you for joining us once again. Uh, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye.